I want to talk about don't forget my name. Because if you are like most people, you will know it's very easy to forget people's names. In fact, there is a rule when you meet somebody that you have three chances to remember their name. And after three, you can't... It's just rude to ask them again, what was your name again? You can get three hits. And you'll know this if you've ever been praying for people at the front of Winchester or West Point, you get someone coming forward and always the music's too loud. They're obviously in a mess and you say to them, what's your name? <laughs> you go, Mia? No, 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 it's Michelle. It, it, uh, Millel? It's Michelle. All right, Michelle, right, okay. And then Michelle tells you all her problems which you're listening to with this loud music going on, and then, you, right, I'm going to pray for you, and then you think, oh, heck, I've forgotten her name. <laughs> if you ever have a leader saying, I want to pray for my brother or pray for my sister, you know they've forgotten your name. It's true. And uh, people we feel very, very precious about are names. We don't, we're not numbers. I'm going to pray for 75 tonight and then 78... And then 3.1415926 down on the end here. We, we, don't, we don't name our kids numbers. We name our kids champagne, <laughs> bubbles, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I met him recently. I mean, we, we, we choose our names carefully as parents. And, and as a pastor, you have to learn to look at the, na- look at the parents as they say, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi. You go, oh, wow, how lovely. That's really nice. Uh, we had our own first grandchild just, just a few weeks ago, and, and he's called Maximilian, or Max, which is rather handy. Uh, but names are important, and we take them seriously. I grew up with a name Guy, uh, and uh, it was a name I hated. Everywhere I went, uh, you would get the same thing, particularly in school. Schools are never nice, are they? Either you're a fun guy, and you're a mushroom, or... You were Guy Fawkes, and everyone goes, oh, put him on the bonfire, which is quite original. I sometimes, as an adult, get that, even today, which is, oh, I've never heard that before. That's quite funny. <laughs> but actually, the name Guy, if you actually trace it back in its origin, comes from the German, which means a warrior, a guide, or a leader. So actually, over the last years of my Christian life, I've really enjoyed the name Guy. Because I want to be a warrior, I want to be a leader, I want to be a guide. Now when you change a name, as Steve said at the beginning of this thing, we, we, there is a huge significance when a name changes. It's not a casual thing, you could name yourself anything. God is interested in our name. God is interested in giving names and us living under the good of those names. So Abraham, Abraham becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah. Jacob, as we know, Israel. And I want to remind you of a name, a very important Old Testament name this morning, a name that is just such a significant name in biblical history that you've all heard it, you all know the name I'm talking about because it's so much history flows from this moment and the name is Bessor. And uh, I know you're all well taught here, so you'll go, oh yeah, we know all about that. So let me just back up a little bit on the biblical narrative and help you to understand why this name is so important. Very interesting that Marian prophesied in terms of David. I want to speak about the life of David, one episode in the life of David. David has had 
the beginnings of a fantastic start. He is now on the run from a, a king called Saul who wants to kill him. He's gone to the armies of the Philistines and tried to hang out there, but he's just been rebuffed and he's told to go away from the Philistines and he's heading for home. It's a three-day walk and he's got 600 of his SAS troops with him. And they're walking back and uh, they're a bit discouraged, what next? And they come to their, their base, their town where they're based, called Ziklag. And as they approach, as they come over the hills, there is smoke, there is devastation, there is not a sign of kids, of donkeys, of of wives, of mothers. It's been ransacked by the Amalekites. The Amalekites had come, they'd grabbed hold of everybody, and they'd done a runner. And this is an important point in David's life because David comes and, he, and he, he's holding his head in his hands and his men around him are talking with one another. This is David. And they're saying, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And uh, I want us to pick up the narrative and uh, read a little bit of the story in 1 Samuel 30. If you turn to that chapter you can follow this story. It says at that moment when uh, David uh, is in this horrible place, it says these incredible verses that David, verse 6, found strength in the Lord his God. I think that's very important. I think that's very important for you, Rob, coming into eldership. Lots of pressures, lots of things that you'll be asked to do. Lots of performance type things where you're out in front of people. Actually, you need to be a man who finds strength in your God. You need to be a man of prayer, of study, be a worshipper on the inside. And I know you are, but I just want to encourage you to keep that David-like heart as you go after God. So David uh, calls his his friend, Abiathar, who's uh, his mate, a priest as well, and he asked him for some advice. Bring me the ephod, Abiathar said. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? There it is again, what Marion was prophesying earlier. Listening first to God, God's purposes. Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed and rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine. It's about 15 miles out, where some stayed behind. 200 men who were too exhausted to cross the ravine. But David and 400 men continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, to whom do you belong? Where Where do you come from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of a Malachite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerithites and the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of the Caleb, and we burnt Ziglag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you'll not kill me or hand me over to my master and I'll take you down to them. So he led David down there and they were scattered over the countryside eating and drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. And David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day. 
and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder, or anything else they'd taken. And David brought back everything. He took the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. And they said, this is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him, and who were left behind at the Bessel Ravine. They came out to meet David and the people with him. As David and his men approached, he greeted them. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we have recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. But David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us. He has handed over to us the forces that have come against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the, me- of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to battle. All will share alike. And David made this a statue and an ordinance for Israel from that day to this. Let me talk about names. Let me talk about, in this passage, three important lessons for, for you as a church today and for you as a believer today. Firstly, a past name. I want to talk about the names of the past. You see, we're talking about David. We're talking about King David. We're talking about the one that we know at Sunday school lessons goes and chops off the head of Goliath. We know he's the one that the young girls are singing, Saul has killed his thousand David, his tens of thousands. This is a mighty warrior. This is a champion. This is somebody who has got a name and a reputation. And as we come to this story, the only way this name is going to be remembered is on a grave headstone. All the history of David means nothing at this moment of crisis because his men are saying, let's do away with him. This is the reason we're in this mess. It's David. Let's kill him. You see, the past name has no currency in the immediate. A great history, a great past, doesn't guarantee a great future. We can spend time over lunch, I'm sure we will, with people. We can recall people and leaders, you know, Greg and Reg and Bernard and John and Steve. And we can talk about all the incredible things with buildings and salvations and ministries that were birthed over the years which is all wonderful, but it was all in preparation for what lies ahead, not to pull us back into the past. A past name is no guarantee of the future. It's a name to be honoured, Winchester Family Church, but it mustn't hold us back from what God is saying and promising to today. Turn with me just briefly, a little Bible study in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, I just want to just turn there. And uh, just make some points here. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, you know he's in prison, you know he's had this incredible ministry. He says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or, or have already been made perfect. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining what is to head, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
Paul is very realistic. He's not saying, I'm almost there, I've almost achieved this. He's actually saying there is things in God that he was still reaching for. In verse 10, it tells us what they were. He wants to know Christ. He's saying, actually, in everything up to this point in time, it's about Jesus, but he wants to know Jesus more. In chapter 1, he talks about the promises. If it's, if it's to remain on the earth, it is for fruitful labor. Paul wants to know what that fruitful labor is. He's leaning into Christ. I want to know Christ. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Paul didn't want to stay in prison. He wanted to know power in his life. He wanted to know what it was to suffer. Sharing in the sufferings. I think that's a misunderstood, important thing. I've just had three days on suffering in, in, in America with John Piper preaching on this whole text of Romans 8 and talking how important it is that we go through sufferings for God's greater purposes and greater glory. And he says, I want to know somehow the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is saying, with all his history, with all the incredible things he had seen and proved in God, that he wasn't settling back in prison and thinking, I'm now relaxing. No, he wanted something ahead. So he had to forget what was behind and lay hold of the future. I would encourage you as believers this morning in this place, Praise God for a wonderful future. Honor the past, but actually God's got a greater future. Everything was in preparation for the future. So let's talk about a good name. Secondly, so that's a past name. Let's talk about a good name. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. It's interesting that because silver or gold can't buy a good name which has been lost takes you a day to lose a good name you can live pure and righteous and holy and you can in a moment lose a good name and silver or gold can't buy it back unless you're in America I don't think it is at Brook Bessor that David establishes his name and we get a glimpse of the greatest son that will come out of David's lineage not on his first visit but on his second visit They'd pushed hard. They got to the brook. I, I, having, I, I've just done this pilgrimage, Winchester to York, and I know this every day, walking 25 miles, when you get to 15, 18 miles, that's when your body starts to say, give up. Can't walk any further, just exhausted. Well, 200 men, strong men, get to this brook and they go, we can't go another step forward. We'll look after the bags. You guys go on. 200 stay, 400 move forward. They come and they meet an Egyptian. David wonderfully portrays Christ at this moment, takes this runt, this this person who's ill, he feeds him, he gives him water, he gives him strength. David knew what that was to receive that from God himself, where he was the runt of the family. He now does it to an Egyptian. And in return, the Egyptian says, I can tell you where the the Amalekites have gone. I'll, I'll lead you down there. And so they march on and they come and there's a massive, massive battle and amazingly they win and they come back with just wagon loads of booty. You can just hear the sort of creaking wagon loads and and you can imagine the 200 waiting at the brook and saying, hey there's dust, hey there's people, hey that's my wife, hey that's my son, that's my daughter, woohoo, running down the hill embracing, this is a day of great celebration and as they look around, wow what are these wagon loads of silver and gold and all these donkeys and sheep and goats, wow this is great, but some greedy people go, yeah and we've done the hard work, 
you can push off. Have your wife and kids, but push off. This is ours. Funnily enough, if you notice the text, only a few verses earlier, they, said, they were saying this is David's plunder. Now they're saying it's their plunder. Now David's intervention is the climax of this story. It is pure gospel. He says, everyone gets a share. Everyone gets a bounty. Everyone gets in on this. Whether you've been in here for staying with the baggage or whether you've been down there fighting, everybody is going to come in. And as you read later, he even blesses the wider people of God in his generosity. It's pure gospel. You see, the irony, if we understand this story correctly, is it was only at the beginning of the story these people were saying, let's kill David. Let's kill him. Now they suddenly find themselves in a place of lavish riches because of David. And David knew that their history was that they came to him and the cave of Adullam. And when they came, they were an odd collection of people. They were oddballs and misfits. And David loved them and won them and fed them and equipped them and trained them to become this army. And it was all of grace. It was all of grace. Grace that they ever came. Grace that he welcomed them. Grace that he equipped them. Grace that he forgave them when they were just talking about his murder. If I was David at this point, I would have been beheading a few people. I'd have been saying, actually, there's a few people who've just gone too far. They were calling for me to be stoned. Let's do away with them. David loved his compassion. He pours riches on everybody, lavishes them with grace, which reminds us on this important day. In him we have redemption. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. God hasn't given a few of us real lavish grace. He's poured out on every son, every daughter in this room the forgiveness of our sins and the lavish grace of his love and mercy. We are rich because of Jesus. And David at Brook Bessel anticipates Christ. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, come to me all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, Hope Church is a good name. It's a good name. Everyone in this room whether you've been here and you can remember the years of whenever it was, Stanbury Evangelical Free Church, or whether you've just walked in this morning and think, I'm looking for a church, everyone has an equal share in this future riches God's going to pour upon this church. You're all equal rights, equal inheritance, because of grace. There's no status, there's no first, who's going to get the first, who's going to get the biggest slice of the pie. You are going to come into God's riches in the future. And it's of grace. And the word hope is a word for the church and it's a word for the world. It's an important word. It's a good word. Romans 8, 24. For in this hope, explained by the earlier verses, the setting free of the creation from the bondage to decay, in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I would honour this church that you've waited years 
with patience for God's fulfillment of promises and prophecies. God's got great things for this church. And we're hoping, we're leaning into God, we're trusting into God. Hope does not disappoint us. Hope isn't there to frustrate us. Hope is there to stir us to faith and faithful steps of action. Hope today is a word that we need for Christians in this room. Wonderful to hear these testimonies of hope. But there are people I know in this room this morning who are in a position and they're thinking, I've come here, God's led me here, and now I'm in this, I'm in a pit, I'm in a mess, I'm in a, in a, in a cul-de-sac. What is going on? What you need most is hope. The way to get out of your prison is, is to have biblical hope. I love Shawshank Redemption in the top ten of my favourite films. And if you've never watched that film, in it there's two central characters. One is called Andy Dufresne and one is, uh, is called Red, played by Morgan Freeman. And Andy Dufresne is, is going to escape from Shawshank. And he says to Red, if you ever get out of Shawshank prison, I want you to find a wall, and under that wall I'm going to leave you something leave you a message and he comes one day Morgan Freeman old age whatever gets let out of the prison and he makes his way to this wall and he digs and he finds a box and in that box there's some money but there's a letter from Dufresne and Dufresne in that letter says remember Red hope is a good thing maybe the best of things and no good thing ever dies and he says I will be hoping this letter finds you you see hope gives us wings it enables us in the circumstances of life to bring God's promises remember God's promises and to bring them back before God so that we actually sprout wings and fly in our spirits out of our circumstances and into the eternal purposes of almighty God It's a wonderful name. It's a name you need to talk and a name you need to pray and a name you need to stir in your spirits. What has God brought you to this point for? There is hope for every situation no matter how bad it appears. We heard someone prophesy this morning, 1 Corinthians 12. Now these three remain, faith, hope and love. The greatest of these is love. What are you hoping for this morning? What am I hoping for this morning? I'm hoping for... God's inheritance. I'm hoping for God's glory in this place. I'm hoping for God to meet your every need in Christ Jesus. I'm hoping for the gospel to be preached in this place like it's never before. I'm hoping that Steve has the best ever Alpha course. I'm hoping that we will see hundreds of young people, hundreds of children, older people, rich people, poor people coming into this place and encountering Jesus. I'm hoping leaders will be raised up who are going to plant churches, who are going to lead businesses, who are going to go to the ends of the earth. I'm hoping not in you, but in God. That he who has begun a good work will certainly bring it to completion. Hope is a good name. And hope is a good name for the lost. It's a good name for the lost. Because I want to finish by talking about a great name. You see, I spent my sabbatical studying the life of David. And in the latter years of David, he committed three huge sins, Bathsheba, Uriah, and with his family in Absalom. It is though David forgot what his life was all about 
And his name was all about a great name. Not the name of David, but the name of the Lord of hosts. Can you remember what he said to Goliath? You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Read the Psalms. You just, if you, if, particularly if you read it in Eugene Peterson's message, you get Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh dominates the Psalms. David's hope, David's strength was in the name of his God, in the name of his Saviour. Over and over again, Yahweh, he says, rewrote the text of my life. The David story is the gospel story. It's about the greatest name that's ever been known. And I want to finish by just talking and turning quickly back to Philippians 2, uh, verse 9. I, I want to say this about this church. It says in Philippians 2, 9, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name. At that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And apparently, John Piper was explaining this isn't just future, this is present. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to just say this, no one can be saved except by that name. There is no other name. There's no politician's name, there's no other religious leader's name, there's no other name that can rescue and save a person from their sin and from judgment and from death, except the name of Jesus. It's the name that we want to make famous in Winchester in commission. We don't want to talk about commission, we don't want to talk about hope church, ultimately we want to talk about one name and the, the name, which is the name of Jesus. That's the name Winchester most needs to hear, the name of Jesus, Jesus. Let Jesus be on our lips. Because Jesus, the New Testament explains, that name operates in three wonderful directions in terms of the world. Firstly, it operates towards those who are lost. Acts 4.10, there, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name by which men can be saved. It's at the name of Jesus. The church, Hope Church's work from this moment on is to worship and proclaim Jesus. Today is not about your name. It's not about Rob being set into eldership. We want to just remember that name. Oh yeah, it was all about the name. And was it a good name? Was it a bad name? No, we are today celebrating the fact that God is for us and who can be against us. We're celebrating the fact that we are about one name and making one name famous and that's the name of Jesus. And we know that actually God saves, we don't. And on the Alpha course, when they come, we can't convince them because we're clever or Steve or whoever is talking is clever and can convince them into a place where they go, oh, right, I'm now going to believe. No, it's the name of Jesus that people bow the knee and surrender their lives and say, Jesus is Lord. It's the name of Jesus that rescues in that moment a person from judgment and puts them into the family of God and into life. We need to preach the gospel in Winchester. We need to live the gospel in Winchester. Let your life be about Jesus. That's what it all comes down to. That's what West Point was all about this year, wasn't it? It's just about our relationship with Jesus. Loving Jesus, walking with Jesus, worshipping Jesus, enjoying Jesus, and telling others about Jesus. Let's be about a name. The everlasting name. It's about man's salvation, but also it's about our worship and our prayer. 
Eugene Peterson says, the name of God without prayer to God is the stuff of blasphemy. The name of God without prayer to God is the stuff of blasphemy. Here's the important thing. We don't want to just talk a good name. We don't want to talk a good church. We don't want to talk a good Jesus. We want to live a good Jesus. We want to be men and women who pray. Men and women who know what it is to enjoy worshipping him and to, to, to surround him and to lift that name high over everything that is being done. We get an invitation from heaven to partner through prayer in God's kingdom coming, God's kingdom advancing and the devil giving ground. So let's, again, make sure our worship isn't centred on me and my needs. Our worship isn't me-centred. Our worship is God-centred. Our worship is lifting up a name proclaiming that name above every circumstance, above every other name, and worshipping him. Being a church of prayer and a church renowned is a place of worship. That's what Hope Church will be about. I believe it and I pray it. And the third direction in which this name works is in warfare. I always startled in Luke chapter 10 when the, Jesus sends out the disciples and they, and they come back saying, you won't believe this, Jesus. We, we healed and, and, and a demon and, and all this was going on. And, and, and Jesus, do you remember what he says? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. You see, as they went out with the name, with Jesus' name, and did what Jesus asked them to do, they had authority to cast out demons. They had authority to heal the sick. They didn't earn that. They didn't summon that up from within. Jesus gave them that authority. And he birthed his disciples, and the disciples understood that this world was in the occupation of the enemy. But actually, the way in which the warfare was to be engaged was in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. Over sickness, we pray in the name. We don't pray in our name or in Hope Church. We pray in the name of Jesus because that name is powerful and that name has authority to those who submit and surrender under that authority. So it's very important on a day like today that we think of the greatest name, the name of Jesus, which is about man's salvation, which is about our centering our lives in prayer and worship orbiting that wonderful, glorious throne of grace, but also understanding we're in a battle. And this church needs to understand that we're not going to win the battle. Jesus has won the battle. We're going to enforce that victory by naming the one who's already won the victory, the name of Jesus. And that means when we pray for sickness, we can pray in the name of Jesus that God comes and God heals. We can pray over demonic manifestations and people who are oppressed by the evil one knowing that we have authority to deliver them and to bring peace into their lives so let me finish by saying this it's not a day day to hark on about past name we honor the past but know everything in the past has just been the roots and the trunk and the branches for greater fruitfulness in the future it's not a day to talk about other names I know a day like today you can say, well, I hope church, is it a good name? Is it the best name? There are other names. People get really strung up on names. It's a good name. It's a biblical name. It's a name which works for the church and reminds the church what it's about. It's a good name to remind us that actually we're reaching out in hope to those in darkness and those who are lost. 
And thirdly, it's a, t- it's, a, it's a name to remind us there is a greater name above it all, a name which is about men being saved, a name which is about us enjoying him forever in prayer and adoration around a throne, and a name to be used on every believer's life, over every circumstance in life, knowing that name has authority to bring God's rule and reign in his kingdom to come.